Hello and welcome to the Animation Communication Podcast, your source for discussion about animation, film, fandom, and more. So please join your host, I Love Kim Possible a Lot, or KP, and Lauren Kizich, the Abbey Roadie, for today's discussion. If you like what you hear, please remember to support by giving a like, a follow, as well as subscribing to the main I Love Kim Possible a Lot channel on YouTube. Spread the word and keep being a part of a great community. This episode contains some mild adult language. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Animation Communication. I'm your host person, KP. Um, Joined with me is Lauren. Say hi, Lauren. Hello. Okay, I'm glad you didn't say hi, Lauren, and be a smartass. Um, and today we <laughs> I can have be normal. <laughs> Results may vary. Um, today we have my good friend Jeremy Whitney. Who Whitley? Whitley. There we go. We have my good friend Jeremy Whitley. Um, he's a great, um, great guy. Really nice guy. Um, he writes comic books and he has his own original line called Princeless as well as writing for um, IDW and the My Little Pony um, spinoffs, and he's writing some new stuff for that, but uh, we'll get into that. Anything I miss, Jeremy? Um, any, anything else you do in general? Uh, mostly I write comics. Uh, I write a little bit of everything I've written for uh, Pony stuff, Marvel, Princeless, uh, and I've got, you know, I've done Sea of Thieves, Vampirella, uh, uh rainbow bright just about everything at this point that's a lot of yeah. stuff that's a lot of ip <laughs> <laughs> okay um learn take take it away what's going on in coronavirus part three um media <laughs> time i guess yeah so i mean i'm trying not to do a whole lot of this but i mean given that it's a day-by-day thing where there has to be something going on some interesting stuff has actually gone down uh, for instance, Bob Iger has taken back CEO responsibilities from newly named CEO Bob Chapek during this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, it's not him pulling a Miyazaki and coming back into the CEO position. <laughs> he is He's pretty much just taking the wheel for right now and helping Bob Chapek through this time um, for the company, especially when uh, Iger happened to leave just before this whole thing kind of came down. And so, uh, so yeah, I don't think, I don't think Bob Chapek was, uh, ready or equipped to handle this quite yet. So, uh, so um, he's kind of I'll, helping him I'll out. add, this is for the Walt Disney company. You <laughs> forgot about that. Oh, well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, I feel like if, if people are listening to an animation podcast, I feel like I, people know who Bob Iger is at this you, point, but yes, to specify for Disney. You never know. <laughs> you never know. We're, we're, we're supposed to be teaching people stuff on this. So, you know. Okay, so for the Disney Corporation, yes, there you for go, Walt Disney Company, yes. So, so, uh, so. oh, that Bob Iger. Okay, <laughs> see, I thought you were talking about that attorney, Bob Iger. Uh, we assume everyone knows like voice actors by name and stuff, and then we're just like normal people come on here and they're just like, "What about that guy?" And I'm like, "I don't know." It's a guy oh. who does a thing, and then you mean you mean that John Delancey, <laughs> <laughs> that old fart man. <laughs> Maybe cut that <laughs> old, old man Delancey. Sometimes one time I um I muttered that under my breath, and he was like right behind me. It's like oh shit. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, uh, that could be a whole episode. We'll shut up. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, that in the wake of this, unfortunately, means that I mean that there could be a lot of downsizing in the company, uh, which means you know fewer pe- people in the corporation at this point and across the globe. So uh, we'll see what happens in in the wake of this whole coronavirus thing. Uh, but that just happened, and also what just happened, uh, Smiling Friends the pilot uh, aired on Adult Swim the other day, and Smiling Friends, if you don't know. Uh, or are not watching Adult Swim at midnight. <laughs> I thought Adult you, uh, Swim only had Rick and Morty, and that's it for the for the for the big brains. I'm, I'm, uh, just, I'm, <laughs> I'm making a bad joke, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, so YouTubers uh, uh, Michael Cusack and Psychic Pebbles. I'm hoping I'm saying those correctly. I say them as I read them. Uh, we're both uh, animators off of YouTube, and they both created this uh, pilot together in in uh, coordination with some uh, well-known YouTube voice actors as well. And it surprisingly dropped on Adult Swim. Only, I don't think anybody really expected it, only if people were following their Twitters and they were just leaving hints that something was going to happen on April 1st. Because <laughs> this was an April Fool's drop, by the way. So, um, so yeah, people weren't expecting it. But, uh, yeah, in, in true Adult Swim fashion, it's a surrealistic kind of like uh, hyper sometimes even in some of the comedies like hyper realistic in the in the art style uh a kind of comedy show and it's bizarre and i did enjoy it (laughs) because of how bizarre it was uh so i hope we get to see more of that show uh and then finally uh primal the hit show from dendy tartakovsky on adult swim also surprisingly dropped an episode same night uh teasing their upcoming season two uh with a killer pardon the pun uh episode uh so if you guys haven't tuned into primal yet just to sum it up you know how you have an adventure between a boy and his dog just have a man and his t-rex surviving the prehistoric world and facing all sorts of dangers together and becoming closer buddies because of it so i mean and that's just a nice way of putting it it's like a killer show uh highly recommended if you haven't watched it yet so uh that's so far what i have for animation news <laughs> yeah i use the analogy um for primo um it's like the good dinosaur but like more violent and as lauren said <laughs> actually good which is fair because i haven't seen the good dinosaur because i'm afraid to see the good dinosaur i just know it exists so um i mean i totally saw it for that pixar thing that we did that yeah yeah Anyway, um, <laughs> professional. Cheating on your homework, are you? I, I, I like TV tropes. It's my friend. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll just get to it then. Um, we have a lot of interesting questions prepared for Mr. Jeremy. Um, I think, um, yeah, Jeremy already gave his thing. Cut this. Okay. Um, Lauren, do you want to ask the questions or do you want me to ask the questions or does it really matter? Um, well, I do want to lead in because uh, I do I do like to preface every episode with there are always new listeners and there's always a lot of young listeners, uh, a lot of aspiring artists, writers, entertainers, pretty much anybody that wants to get their start in the industry, whether it be in animation or in comics or in just in general in entertainment uh, in animation. Uh, how about you tell us how you started writing and creating comics? Like, where did you start? So I, I went to uh, college for English and creative writing. Um, 
wasn't necessarily for comics or uh, I don't know. Writing is, is weird in, I guess, most circles because there's not really like a career path. It's just like, all right, you, you graduate and then it's like, all right, go write something somewhere. Um, sure. Um, so I started out doing uh, self-published comics. I worked with a friend of mine, uh, Jason Strutz, who is a uh, illustrator. And basically I was, I was writing stuff and he was illustrating and we were, you know, paying to get it uh, printed through a, a place called Kablam. It's uh, in Florida. Basically you can, you know, order a bunch of your stuff to get printed and they'll charge you a bunch of money and ship you a box. And you'll probably, it is very difficult to make any kind of money that way. <laughs> um, but, but what it did allow me to do is like have some stuff to, you know, go to conventions and, and show off as sort of, you know, proof that we could we do it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we made this thing. Here it is. Hopefully it's okay. Um, maybe pay us four bucks for it. Um, so it's, you know, it was a lot, uh, at least a year of, of that, just, you know, going to conventions and having a couple of issues of stuff on the table. And uh, I started working on another comic with my, my friend Franco, who was uh, illustrating that. Um, and basically we got one issue of that done and Franco was like, yeah, drawing comics sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> drawing um, is hard. He's, he's a, he's a professional, he's like a, a professional artist. He does like makes prints and, you know, puts stuff up in galleries and he's like, yeah, this takes a lot more time than, uh, other types of art and, uh, it doesn't pay as well. So I don't think I'm going to do That's this fair. anymore. So I was stuck with like one issue of, of that comic that I was, you know, taking around to conventions with me and showing off to people. Um, and eventually like I, I went to heroes con, which is one of the, the better comic book conventions. It's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and you know, they, they sit you at a table next to somebody else who's trying to do the same thing you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And um, you get to hear each other pitch all day. <laughs> and um, I know the feel. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we were in sort of a particularly kind of back corner of the convention and uh, not selling much of anything. And the guys next to us weren't selling much of anything either. Um, but one of the uh, one of the guys who was sitting next to us really liked the pitch for the comic I was working on. And um, he was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I like what you're doing. You know, the idea is great. I don't really like the art on it. Um, so, you know, I would want to set you up with a different artist if, you know, uh, my, my company is looking for some some new comics because uh, we're, we're just starting this new comic book company. Um, so, you know, we're looking to bring in some outside stuff. You'd be interested. I was like, well, good news because my artist already quit. So <laughs> we don't have to fire an artist. Um, and uh, that was that was actually it was the first issue of Princeless um, that I had with me. And it was a whole obviously completely different art and different style, um, but more or less the same book as far as, you know, what was written in it. Um, and, uh, that was my friend, Dave Dwanch, who ended up being one of the founders of action lab. And he, uh, you know, got me hooked up over there as they were starting, which is, is where princess still is getting made. Uh, you know, like it's, it's about 10 years now wow. since that first book. Time came flies. Out. I was yeah. going to say, Oh, where did you get your inf- inspiration yeah. for princess? Uh, so princess was a, a series I started because, it was kind of something I was looking for because I was, I was getting ready to have my first daughter, Zuri. Um, and my wife had been talking about, 
I, w- I was looking for something to get her into comics, you know, as a kid. Um, but I felt like at that point, I think it launched about the same month as like the DC New 52 did. Mm. So there was very little like content that was designed for women at all. Uh, not to mention, you know, younger women, um, not to mention young women of color. Um, and yeah, I was, I was looking for something where she could see somebody that looked like herself in the comic and it would be a, a book that she entered that she enjoyed, but could still, you know, teach something, uh, have, you know, something of value to it. And, um, there wasn't, there wasn't much in that market. So I started making, you know, pencils with, with an eye to, uh, you know, be the sort of thing I wanted my daughter to read. And I think I found a lot of other people were looking for the same sort of thing. Yeah. No, that, that's that's great because yeah i mean honestly it's great to see that comics keep growing and expanding and and delving into new ideas and new concepts and and just opening up the field for so many people and so many new characters yeah no for sure yeah it's, it's really interesting to me because i feel like we have i think we have the distinction of being sort of a vanguard in this new wave of comics, uh, but the sort of vanguard that nobody knows about because we're never very big. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's like, you know, we were, we were a couple of years ahead of, you know, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel and, um, you know, Lumberjanes and stuff that started coming out a few years later and then blew up a lot bigger. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see like, Oh yeah, I I was pretty sure there was room to make this kind of stuff, and eventually, you know, the other the other companies caught up with what we were doing. Mm. Yeah, and I I give Jeremy a lot of credit because um, just something I noticed while being around him. Sometimes, like um, I'll sit with him at conventions and stuff like that. Granted, that hasn't happened in a while, um, but he really tries to incorporate a lot of diversity, not just uh, people of color, but a lot of LGBT. TQ plus themes. I think I got all all of the pluses, and mm-hmm. um, you know, like so one so one year at BernieCon, the BernieCon that um, I hung out with Jeremy and um, Jen Blake. Um, we met with one of his pre readers. Um, I think her name was Rachel too. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. So who's and he's like, I I think it it it's it's admirable that not only are you trying to write these characters correctly, but to the point of trying to kind of have a pre-reader who's giving you feedback about, is it realistic? Like, is this the way people are thinking? You know, that kind of vibe. So uh, Jeremy is a good guy. That's, that's the end of the podcast. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, when did you two, when did you two meet? Um, one year at BabsCon, um, I noticed Jeremy had a table and he's like, again, super nice guy. Um, He's probably the one of the ones I connected to the best as far as like just the pony people in general, like across the board, wh- whether it be IDW or, you know, the voice actors. Um, I used to do conventions with Jen when she was doing pony conventions in general. Um, I think I ha- I knew Jen before that um, or for a, a con before that. And so Jeremy wrote one of the, the I think the first um, Discord story. Um, for IDW or one of the early ones, and I reviewed it. It was the one with the with Fluttershy and the CMC. Um, mm. Is I think I don't know. This was like years ago. I'm sorry. Um, so it's like, hey, I reviewed your thing from on the internet. 
you, you want to see it? So Jeremy looked at the video and when he, and you know, and then we had conversations about like Discord, you know, my favorite, the good, good boy, as far as writing him, because, um, you know, this is kind of a thing that happens with, um, when you have multiple writers, when you have a showrunner, where you have, um, and you split them up between specific people, um, sometimes characterization can vary especially in like early seasons of stuff when they're trying to find the beats of the characters mm -hmm. um and discord specifically has always been um a character that again depending on the writer like is he an asshole is he sympathetic um one of the things i really love about like nick coughlin's scripts i'm i'm friends with him too i'm not saying this because i'm friends is like um you know discord has a lot of different you know layers as far as he kind of puts on this persona of like being better than everyone else um but underneath it he's 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 kind of insecure he kind of doesn't know what to um do he's afraid people are going to leave him you know that kind of thing and jeremy i think captured that really well in his comic um and it's not something i see a lot it was it was the one with luna in discord um mm. it wasn't it's not something i or you know the character isn't really explored that thoroughly it's usually like we need some we need conflict discord causes conflict let's put him in the episode and half the time he's just kind of there to be a, to be an asshole and you know that's not as someone who really empathizes with the character you know obviously for people who are new to like everything he's my favorite um you know it's 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 frustrating to kind of see you know someone who or you know inconsistency inconsistency in something you care about um so you know passionately about so you know we talked about that and then um you know we hung out a little bit after that and then for BronyCon one year i was like hey jeremy you're going to BronyCon, right and he's like yep i'm like can i crash in your hotel room and he's like sure <laughs> so um because you know jeremy the nice guy um cool guy and um you know so it was me jeremy and jen um at that brony con and that was like one of the funner brony cons i think you know i had i had access to the green room and you know i got to eat the food and it was it was it was nice so yeah i <laughs> you know i i appreciate jeremy's kindness and he's helping me he's helped me a lot just like we talk about like good and bad conventions um we haven't touched base in a little while before this but yeah that's that's how we met do you want to add anything jeremy to that story uh yeah so i had i had met so I, I met, I think we both knew Jen mm -hmm. first. Because um, Jen did, uh, just done a story with me uh, and sort of nudged the right people to get me invited to that BabsCon, which uh, I hadn't done any pony conventions at that point, even though I'd done several issues of the comic. Um, and yeah, I, I believe, I mean, I, I know for certain that's that's where we met. That's the first time I actually met Jen in person. Um, and... Uh, yeah, we, we got to talking about, uh, I think you had read some of the stuff I had written with Discord and, and not others of it. And you were, I, I seem to remember you being uh, insanely uh, bothered by the fact that something had come out with Discord and you hadn't actually read it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because the, the first the first story that I ever wrote for MLP was uh, Friends Forever number two, which was Discord and the Cutie Mark Crusaders. Um I think people were still getting used to the idea that there was a second comic book series at that point. Uh, so only like half the people that were reading the main series were reading that. Um, 
that is fun because I I've always liked Discord and I, I like um, writing sort of his his complexities and um, I think the the first when I was pitching those stories you know the the Friends Forever were basically kind of team up stories they were like all right you know pitch us an idea of a pair of characters that you could write a story about that would be you know uh, unique and, and I was like well <laughs> yeah. I was like, I want to do something about Discord. Who's a who's an interesting person to pair Discord with? And I was like, well, who's a who's a match for the God of Chaos other than like three children, <laughs> <laughs> you know, three three wild children that are always breaking and destroying things. Uh, at that point, you know, I had I, I had actually had uh, my my first daughter, and I was like, yeah, man, children are scary, <laughs> <laughs> much scarier than ancient gods. Um, so. Yeah, I, I wrote that story, and then, yeah, I did. Um, there's the Discord and Luna team-up one that's on there as well, and then there's uh, um, the the one in the main series that's uh, Discord and Luna and the Cutie Mark Crusaders all together where they go inside Discord's head, which is a fun one to write. Um, yeah, those, those sort of characters always interest me. I like, you know, characters that are uh, chaotic one way or another and, um, you know, have... Have all sorts of power but also have uh, all sorts of insecurities um i find that you know the loki's of uh, of the world to be interesting mm-hmm. um so yeah and then yeah BronyCon was uh coming around and um they had, they had invited me for some reason <laughs> and not jen and i tried to get them to get jen a table in a room and they were like well we can give her space at the table but we don't have any more rooms to give away and i was like I Jen can stay with me. Like that's not going to be a problem. And, uh, and then, and Kippy was like, "Can I stay with you too?" <laughs> um, we'll have a yeah. party. Yeah, that's fine. It's just you know. And then it turns out they put us up in the nicest hotel I've ever even been in, uh, the Four Seasons in Baltimore, which was like, it was it was super nice. Um, and uh, uh, that was a weird weekend too because there were also like marches in Baltimore that weekend and um yeah <laughs> we we ended up uh did you end up at the the uh my little pony um stripping is not the word I'm thinking oh, the burlesque of but, show? Uh, no I think something I missed very that. close to them yeah the burlesque yeah, show um so for people who don't know and are afraid um so you know <laughs> um Nevertheless, I've never been to them, but I know that it is done. But it's basically they take there's a there's a there's a group that does pony theme burlesque, I guess, and it's everyone's favorite. Thing. Yeah, like the wine for BronyCon was like cray, and I was just <laughs> like, no. Um, but I think I think Jen probably went. That sounds like her thing. Um, well, yeah, Jen was MC. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> as you do <laughs> because they were. There were a bunch of us who had been on panels at the convention and we were all getting ready to head home and they were like, well, there is a march in downtown and we cannot get to the uh, the hotel. So we want to invite you guys to have like free drinks and come to this event we're having right now. Uh, and then we'll, you know, we'll get you home after that. And uh, the event was a, a My Little Pony themed burlesque um, in which there was some, uh, some, some drinking and some rowdiness and, uh, some some mostly unclothed pony cosplay <laughs> um, involved. 
It was it was a wild yeah. night. Um, and this is this is kind of outside the norm in general for the pony show. So like, if you're thinking about going to a pony con, I promise that strippers are usually not included. Um, for the most part, you know. There's, I was there's... gonna say true true story though. A couple was it a couple years ago? Yeah, a couple years ago. Uh, for a friend's birthday, I went and saw a Marvel versus DC burlesque show. <laughs> So you had yeah all the all the girls were dressed up as it was like a team of Marvel heroes and a team of DC heroes all pitted against each other and plus their vil- their counterpart villains. <laughs> it was it was actually one of the greatest experiences ever. <laughs> oh, I guess I got to go to West show one of these one of these conventions. I'm 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 afraid, but <laughs> anyway, you were saying Jeremy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's I I, yeah, it was very clearly like an adult only kind of thing, very well marked and uh, in in the hotel rather than actually in the convention center. But uh, yeah, Jen Jen emceed the joint, uh, so it involved a lot of four letter words <laughs> and uh, a lot of drinking. That sounds about right. I guess since we're on the topic of My Little Pony, how did you find yourself in the position of writing for MLP? That's what she said. Okay. <laughs> um well it's interesting because i had been working on princeless uh at that point that was really the only like big credit to my name and um i uh went to denver comic con which has a real focus on like uh you know doing on focusing on comics for kids and, and middle grade readers and stuff like that and um they put Myself and uh, Emily Martin, my artist on Princeless, in a row uh, next to all the pony folk. <laughs> the uh, the main series had really just started at that point. So it was just like Andy and Katie and uh, Tony. Um, and uh, uh, one of Tony Fleece's friends was a big fan of, of Princeless and introduced us. And uh, Tony knew they were you know looking for some more writers on the, the comic book series because they were getting ready to launch Friends Forever at that point. And, I uh, you know, was curious if I knew anything about the show. And at that point I had, you know, a uh, two or three year old daughter. So I knew a lot about the show <laughs> um, because it was either, it was either my little pony or Dora the Explorer. And um, anybody who's had to sit through both, both shows will tell you that my little pony is much more enjoyable. <laughs> yes. Um, has, has much less inane repetition. Um, so, that, you know, it just happened to be the show that like I turned on, at one point, trying to find some way to get away from Dora the Explorer, and I was like, "Oh, this is good, actually. <laughs> like, it's it's funny and well written." Um, and so, uh, Tony, you know, hooked me up with uh, with Bobby, who's the editor on the series at that point, and um, you know, Bobby just basically gave me kind of a you know pitch pitch what kind of stories you want to write. You know, we're looking for the um, you know Friends Forever stories at that point. Um, so I pitched him, I think five or six combinations of characters, and uh, the the first two we picked were the uh, Discord and the Cutie Mark Crusaders, and then uh, Pinkie Pie and uh, Luna, which was both of which were I think are still two of my favorite stories I've done for the series. Neat. Yeah, but yeah, I just kept, uh, you know, I I finished those two and pitched some more and pitched some more, and uh, I've done upwards of forty oh, wow. now. Um, Let's see. So I was, I was at forty before I got to the season ten stuff, wow. 
And even though nobody's seen any of that, I have currently written seven issues of that. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm at 47 already. So depending on what actually comes out this year, I might hit 50 soon. Yeah, I remember Jeremy was joking on Twitter about, like, I guess people were sending you their ship preferences um, via DM or something like that. <laughs> and as a joke, I, I sent, I sent yes. one because, like, you know, I ship Discord and Celestia, which is pretty dead at this point really um and then he he posted on twitter it's like stop making me ship discord and chico we don't even have the rights for chico it's a different ip <laughs> and i'm like oh jeremy <laughs> wop wop so you know that's that's our relationship <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's i get all sorts of interesting requests about oh, I uh, bet. trying to make relationships canon a whole bunch of us got a whole video recently of uh, a gentleman who was very uh, concerned about one particular uh, relationship being or remaining as he thought can. And, um, but yeah, that's like generally when I pitch stories, uh, canon relationships are very far from my mind. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I was going to yeah, I feel like there's a lot of stories that have been told there, and um, I'm much more interested in like just trying to find something. Like it's it's hard to find something that somebody else hasn't already done in, uh, you know, the My Little Pony stuff. Yeah, at this point. right. You'd get nine seasons of it. Um, can you kind of tease a little bit what what's coming out as far as um, for those who are unaware? There's a fa- there's a comic book only version of the the next season, even though it's not a season of My Little Pony. Um, Hold on. Yeah, it's the unofficial, the unofficial season. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it is. So the the way the comic book is generally worked is that the the comic and the TV show are sort of co-canon, and that um, stuff in the comic book is is canon until the TV show uh, doesn't realize we did something <laughs> and just writes right over it. Um. And in which case the, you know, TV show wins because more people see TV than watch comic or the read comics. Um, I remember the, yeah. yep, the, so, the, um, the example you mentioned uh, one time is that in what it was the make new friends, but keep discord. The CMC were kind of like snotty to discord. And then you were like, people keep on telling me this happened after I wrote discord and CMC comic, but I, it's not my fault. So, um, yeah, it had been like two or three years after I had written the Dia, the Discord and CMC comic in which he has made an honorary member of the Cutie Mark Crusaders um, and they, they all become friends at the end because they're all misunderstood. Um, but yeah, then they, they totally wrote the relationship very different in the TV series and I just had to be like, oh, whatever. Because um, that's, that's how it works. Um you know, the TV show makes a lot more money than any comic book has since the 90s. So, um, yeah, there's there's been a lot of little things like that. But now that the uh, the TV show is over, basically they have given us sort of the sole responsibility of, of carrying on the canon of the show. Um, so uh, it, it was supposed to start with the free comic book day story, which is supposed to come out uh, the first weekend of May. Uh, but of course, free comic book day is uh, officially been canceled at this point. So who knows when you guys will get that story. <laughs> they, might, they might put it um, online, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, the books are 
printed because I have copies of them already, but um, they, you know, they were not to be distributed until free comic book day and who knows when that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, the, the basic um, setup of, of uh, this is, you know, it comes right off the end of, um, you know, the, the current, not the future timeline um, at the end of season nine. Um, so it continues on with the story from, you know, right after uh, Twilight is, is enshrined as the uh, sole leader of Equestria, Luna and Celestia are leaving. Um, and uh, we, we took a little bit of a different angle on it, which is um, part of the, the driving force of it is to, uh, Twilight wants to define her reign by um, making friends with new lands and, um, you know, having everybody go out and uh, meet new new types of creatures and new worlds. Um, so we kind of divide up the uh, the main six and um, it, Twilight has to stay at home because she's the only princess now, so she can't just run around wherever she wants all the time. Um, but the others all get uh, a chance to, um, you know, run off and, and see some of the worlds that maybe have been hinted at and some of the, the things that they've talked about on the show, but have never gotten around to showing. Um, and we also get to uh, follow up on some of the continuity from the, uh, the movie that uh, has not been followed up on because, you know, some of those characters that appeared in the movie. Yeah. They're, uh, they're they expensive the to, to get a hold of. Yeah. Are... <laughs> yeah. Emily Blunt is a little above their pay grade. <laughs> so. Great for a movie. Yeah. Not so much for a you know animated TV show. Yeah, like uh, like all those areas that were explored in in the movie. Yeah, we if if this series going forward explores those areas and gives us you know it allows us to go deeper into them, then I'm all for it because I did hope to see more of that, like seeing more of seeing more of the, the of the sea ponies and seeing more of uh, hopefully where we see more of the, the hippogriff kingdom and stuff like that. So, I mean, and then plus there's just, do we ever follow up with the pirates? Do we ever follow up with the, <laughs> like, there was a lot that was introduced in the movie that I hope ends up getting covered. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we mixed a couple of things, um, both from the movie and from the TV show with some things that have been introduced in the TV show, which, uh, you know, they didn't follow up on or didn't get a chance to follow up on. So we have some of the, uh, you know, the, the pillars of Equestria in there, um, as well as some of the, uh, uh, you know, characters from the movie. Um, I, I love Tempest. So Tempest is in the, uh, the group that's in the first story they've already put out the, uh, solicitation for, um, so it's, it's, uh, we can discuss <laughs> now though, that, uh, that they're, they're going to, uh, the, zebra homelands mm. uh to actually you know see where uh where zakora is from and we get some actual background on zakora which uh was never quite covered in the show but that that initial group is uh applejack and zakora and uh rock hoof and uh yeah. oh and tempest i was, I was waiting i'm like so, you, you got one <laughs> yeah it's a it's a fun group and yeah the the story I'm writing right now uh, it actually follows up directly on some of the stuff from the the movie and from the movie prequel, and uh, features uh, my my boy Capper. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
with his one song. Because who doesn't love who doesn't love a streetwise cat? <laughs> oh my god, I remember the arguments. Like I'm getting flashbacks of all my Bruni Dome, and I remember the arguments about like how can Capper be bipedal when Opal is established to just be a normal cat that Rarity has. So. You know, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> how how can Rarity have a cat then flirt with another cat? <sighs> yeah, I mean, I've I've been to anime conventions. I've seen plenty of people flirt with cats and own cats. So I've been around the block. I've seen things. <laughs> We're gonna get into that whole why is Goofy bipedal and Pluto not. <laughs> No, who is who is Goofy's who is Max's mother? Like that's that's all I want to know. <laughs> we don't know, but we assume she ran off with the milkman based on that one short. Oh, that's like a whole other a whole other thing. Oh, just hopefully it's not Pluto, right? Oh, oh don't don't. I I would like not to be scarred. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, and I, I'm sure. I mean. All the all the teams are in the sort of uh, first issue when that comes out, so you get to see who's on, uh, who's going where. But uh, uh, somebody's somebody's certain favorite mischievous character is in the uh, Capper story oh. as well. I'm I'm paying attention now. <laughs> oh, okay, good good to know. I just like, oh man, I I I I I was very bitter about how things ended and i had a bunch of like probably way too many 15 year olds like yelling in my face about oh it's canon now it's canon now Flutterford is canon you have to deal with it and i'm just like no so i i could it's i like, could use some Flutterfordness. just discord being discord please and thank you first of all it's open to interpretation yeah you know it was very clearly open to interpretation when the writers of it were just like i don't know we didn't do anything on purpose so same with um applejack and rainbow dash right and then um twilight and rarity just kind of exist um they just breathe i guess <laughs> breathe air so yeah if, if if i have if i do one more last thing in pony this i'm just gonna keep on dming J jeremy you know it's like there, i better not see any flutter cord i'm gonna come to south carolina and Kick your butt, so you know. <laughs> well, I'm in North Carolina, so you go around and head to South Carolina. Say, uh, you close. would end up in the wrong state. <laughs> they can't stop me from trying. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Or your your exclusive look and uh, pony stuff. Like I guess if if you still care about that, um, I'm sorry if if that's your your life right now, but. Oh, uh, we can talk about how the fandom has changed in general, like for ages. But I'm trying to think if there's any other things um, to cover. Long story short, everybody go buy the comic. <laughs> Everyone stops shaping Fluttercore. Jeremy says it's not canon, even though he didn't say it. By being on the <laughs> podcast, he's 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 confirming he's 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 doing stuff. Okay. Anyway, Lauren, go go ask questions. I'm going to go in my corner now. <laughs> hey, I, I wrote I wrote very easily interpretable comics both with. Uh, both with Discord and Celestia and Discord and Fluttershy. Yeah, so I remember I <laughs> I also gave <laughs> I also gave Discord an ex girlfriend who's a as a cat woman from Egypt. So yeah, whatever. yeah, it's it's fine. Um, I think that does make a lot of sense though. Why he's just so like, ooh, girls are gross. So you know, um, 
but I don't know. I haven't, to be fair, I haven't read that one in its entirely yet, entirety yet, but I've, I've seen the majority of it at this point, because, again, people keep on spamming me things. It's been, it's been six years, guys. It's, it's time, time to stop, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Lauren, what are, what are the more questions? Well, I was going to say, um, with, because uh, you've also written for Marvel, uh, uh, and so sharing the experience of, it seems like uh, there's the spectrum of My Little Pony to Marvel and how they actually interlace in terms of, you know, there's a lot of action and adventure. What's your greatest takeaway from writing for both MLP and Marvel? It's interesting. In, in some ways, they're, they're very different experiences um, because, you know, Marvel owns all of their characters. So, um, you know, I, I can come up with an idea that I think is great for My Little Pony and I can... Uh, pitch it to my my editor at EW, and he can say, "Oh, it's fantastic! We're we're going to run that by Hasbro, and we're um, I'm sure they'll be fine with it, and we'll do it." And then Hasbro can say, "Ah, no, no, we don't think so." Mm. Um, and you know, it, it just gets shot down. Um, or as as happened several times when the show was still on, they say, "Oh, it's it's really close to something we're going to do in the show," or that contradicts something we're going to do in the show. Um, whereas you know, Marvel, they you know, the comics are primary canon. They, they get to do what they want. Um, I don't always get to do what I want, but usually I know the reasons. <laughs> um, you know, usually they say, oh, you can't do that because of this. Uh, whereas Hasbro is often happy just to say, oh, no, we don't want to. Um, Five more minutes, Mom. So it's, go back to bed. <laughs> it's an interestingly different experience, um, but it's, it's also um, a little less tied to everything else um you know marvels it's often like you have to slot what you're writing into all the you know planned events and uh big things that are going on around the rest of the marvel universe uh, i i was writing a, a series called future foundation which is a sort of a spinoff of the fantastic four at one point and i was very excited about this story i was going to write where rocket raccoon was going to guest star mm. um i was like yes i'm gonna have rocket raccoon in there and he's going to be the you know, perfect foil to all these uh, you know, super smart but law-abiding children. <laughs> He's going to come in and be this sort of, you know, uh, chaotic, uh, neutral, uh, giant rodent <laughs> creature. Um, and uh, they were like, oh, yeah, well, um, Rocket's going to be dead that month, so <laughs> probably we shouldn't use him. Like what? Oh, yeah, he's dying in Guardians of the Galaxy, like the month before this issue comes out. So that's not going to really work. Ugh. I was like, oh, well, I guess I had better rewrite all of this then. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> yeah. Or the writing board, I guess. So yeah, it's it. Yeah, writing in a the the giant knot of continuity that is Marvel, and I assume DC. I've never actually written for DC, but I assume it's very similar mm -hmm. there. Uh, is Sometimes a rewarding experience and sometimes a, a sort of harrowing experience, but it's it's sort of like writing and trying to do a jigsaw puzzle at the same time. Yeah, yeah so I, I guess com comparatively, uh, Hasbro tends to be, let you be a little bit more free in writing for them as long as you're pretty consistent with the character personalities and, and the lore. Yeah, they're much more interested in, you know, making sure that the characters are consistent. My Little Pony is interesting because there are, you know, several characters who've never really met in the stories or never had any sort of meaningful interaction. So occasionally you can pull out an idea for something and, um, you know, do, do you know, a pairing that nobody's ever thought of and do something 
cool um like i i did a story at one point with uh bab seed and rarity um which was like literally a a, a pairing i'd come up with by going what's the weirdest pairing i could do <laughs> like what's what's two characters you would never see together in a story um and it ended up being this like story about uh you know sweetie bell was supposed to come hang out with babs but got sick at the last point at the last second and so you know babs ended up meeting up with rarity in manhattan and the two of them have nothing in common and they have this whole sort of misunderstanding um but they they sort of come to this this moment of like yeah they both have these you know parents who who don't really get them and don't really understand their thing and what their thing is about um and they sort of bond over that and you know become become buddies in that story and that was i was like yeah i like i like writing you know uh odd odd couple stories like that yeah and finding the common ground between characters but the other thing i was going to say is like parents that not not getting their artistic children gee i can never imagine that's a problem so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like that you can have two different characters yeah and basically i don't think so venn diagram of the two of them seeing where they would relate to each other despite being so different Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a fun thing with, uh, I mean, Friends Forever isn't an ongoing thing anymore. Um, but, you know, that sort of team up setup of this character and that character is, is really fun and interesting as a way to like, uh, as a writing exercise, even if you're just practicing, just, you know, writing for your, for fun is, you know, come up with these, you know, find these two characters and like, what would they talk about? What would their interaction be? Where would they find um, you know, a connection. Um, I got to write all sorts of interesting stories that way, like, you know, Discord and the Cutie Mark Crusaders or Babs and Rarity, or, you know, I, I wrote a whole story where uh, Luna really wanted to be funny. And uh, it was all about Pinkie Pie trying to teach Luna how to be funny. <laughs> um, it's a very, it's a very amusing uh, story because that's, that's got, one of my my favorite recurring gags, which is I almost never write stories in which Twilight is the main character, um, but I really love writing Twilight bits in other characters' stories, mm -hmm. um, bits about Twilight being uh, neurotic or uh, not getting it, <laughs> um, because Luna Luna just knows that Twilight and her friends are always having fun, so she goes to Twilight for advice on being funny. And Twilight, of course, starts reading her books about how to be funny. Um, and there's a whole a whole meta joke where she's giving her advice, and uh, they they do a whole rule of threes thing in the story while Twilight is telling her about the rule of threes. Um, I love stuff uh, like that. So I, I constantly have. Uh, I think almost every story I've written with Luna, at some point, she ends up in. Uh, in one of Twilight's dreams, Twilight just has dreams about alphabetizing. She just loves to alphabetize. It keeps her at peace. <laughs> yeah. Luna Luna likes to go to Twilight's dreams to relax because it's just sort of this constant droning. <laughs> like counting sheep, but the sheep are alphabet numbers, alphabet letters. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> alphabet numbers. Like that's a takeaway quote from this this episode. I can't. I I don't remember what I learned in high school. It's it's fine. Count the gotta count the letters. 
<laughs> I do a draw. That is my skill set. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lauren, you, you want the next question or you want me to read the next question? Uh, you can go ahead and use the next question. I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter too much, but... um. <laughs> so, Jeremy, so for people who want to break into comics in general, whether they be, like, you know, teenagers or, you know, kids in college or whatever their place in life is right now, uh, what's your general advice? I, th- I think both the best, best advice and possibly also the most useless advice is just do it. Um, uh, that's something I've been telling people at conventions for years is, like, there's no... There's no comics fairy that is going to come around and invite you to write comics um, to tell you that you've been chosen. Hagrid is not going to show up at your door and be like, all right, Harry, you're a comic book writer. Um, it's not going to happen. Um, so like the, uh, especially if you want to write for a, a big company like a Marvel or a DC, um, the only way that they hire people is if those people either have advice or sorry, have uh, have previous work under their belt that they you know have experience is that word I was looking for, um, or uh, if they're a, a minor celebrity. Um, so your choices are clear. Um, either you can become a minor celebrity, or you can dedicate yourself to self-publishing a comic, or you know working on a web comic. Um, they're very easy to do uh, on, you know, just from a ground level, like anybody can start making a web comic. Um, a lot of people do start making a web comic. A lot of people don't continue to make a comic, um, which is sort of the, the barrier of entry, right? It's like you have to be able to do it and keep at it and keep making stuff because that's, I mean, that's what the world of, of comics is. There are plenty of uh, mini series out there uh, but you, it's be very difficult to write a mini series and then retire um, from from writing it all. You have to, you know, keep turning stuff out and keep turning around scripts. And especially if you're going to write for, um, you know, Marvel or DC, um, I've, I've said you know several times at conventions, um, an an, ep, an issue of Spider-Man is is coming out. Well, maybe not this month, but every other month. Um, Every, every month an issue of Spider-Man comes out and you have to be able to turn around comics on that kind of speed, especially as a writer, if you want to do it. Um, because if, if you don't, there are plenty of people who do enough mm-hmm. to do it. Um, so, you know, getting, getting that experience and figuring out how to do it and, um, you know, just, just working at it is, is the best way to break into it. There's not any sort of, um, I don't know, minor leagues in comics, there are independent comics and then there are, you know, big corporate comics, but you know, one is not necessarily better than the other because it's, it's possible to be a, you know, a Robert Kirkman and write something like the walking dead that makes you millions of dollars and just decide you don't ever want to write for Marvel or DC again. Um, and, you know, then it's possible to, to be somebody who, you know, makes comics for Marvel or DC for years and, um, you know, just at some point, they don't want to do it anymore. Uh, those, they're both viable career paths. That's fair. Um, there was a really good joke that Jeremy said one time, where um, someone asked if how do you how do you make how do you get rich making comics? Do you remember the punchline for that? Um, <laughs> it's okay if you don't. I I believe 
I, I believe the punchline to that particular one is uh, either you don't or uh, you you may you write something else. Oh, basically, <laughs> some, or or you be in the nineteen nineties. That is also a possibility. Um, close. Um, the punchline was like, so so I become a Stanley. What's what's a Stanley? Like, is that how you do it? So you know, only Stanley, I think, is making <laughs> or he was rest in peace, Stanley. But um, he was making bank from being in his cameos and, you know, creating, co-creating Spider-Man and all the other stuff. But I think in general, a writing career is kind of, you just have to keep at it and like, hopefully you can pay the bills, shrug, sigh, right? <laughs> Such as the creative struggle. Yeah, I, I think, <laughs> I think the most, the hardest, the hardest thing that you can want to do as a writer is get rich because there's a big step missing in there somewhere. You know, it's that, that old, like, write something, question mark, make money. <laughs> like, you got to figure out what that question mark is. And uh, that that is that is actually where my favorite uh, joke I tell on panels comes from. Uh, it's not, not so much a joke as... Uh, uh, a truth and that when people ask how you get how you break into writing comics uh and i think i stole this from matt fraction um breaking into comics is like breaking out of prison um everybody has to do it a different way and once somebody gets in they block up that that entrance so you have to find a different way that's fair i mean it, it also comes down to like the hollywood rule of like it's not you know it's who you know as far as if you want to break into a big company from like DC or Marvel but like independent stuff is very easy um to accomplish and you know I think starting and going to local conventions where the where the table um prices aren't too high um you know and getting some prints and you know selling the prints at like 10 bucks or whatever is just kind of a good place to start and you know I see a lot of I mean I don't sell I don't personally sell comic books on the the vendor for floor for conventions but i know people like tons of independent comic book writers that you know or artists or you know a mix of whatever and they they just go to show to show to show and you know style their work and they go to the next show so yeah I, I wouldn't recommend um starting by having a table i'd recommend like finding a couple of good comic conventions near you and going to them and uh, talking to people at the show going to panels and asking questions that you might have that come up and seeing kind of what everybody's doing and, and what it's about. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe bring some samples of your work with you if you're an artist or, um, you know, have a self-published comic that you can, you know, give to editors or, or share with, you know, people you, you think you might, you know, want to do what they do and might be able to give you advice. Um, and then, you know, go to a couple conventions like that first. And once you have enough, uh, enough stuff, enough prints or comics to, you know, uh, theoretically be able to pay for your table, <laughs> um, then, you know, then start getting tables. Cause there's, there's nothing more discouraging than doing it the, the way I did it, which is like, all right, I have one $4 comic <laughs> that cost me $3 to print. Now I'm going to spend $500 on a table. And if I sell everything I brought, I'm still going to lose money. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's that's a feel. Um, I don't I don't think you've seen this lately. Um, but my my business strategy is so I have my banners with the 
with my brand stuff and I have like a Kim Possible table, like tablecloth thingy above and people see all the pink and all the ponies and they're just like, oh, I don't like that. And so then I yell at them. I'm like, hey, do you want to buy some shit? And usually they'll stop and either laugh or they'll just like, I've had people just like, I don't even want to buy anything. Here's 10 bucks just for that pitch. I'm just like, hey, thanks. So <laughs> you, you kind of have to find creative ways to stand out um, at bigger shows, especially. But, you know, making sure you have a vast array of products is probably also a good place to start. But yeah, Jeremy, Jeremy's advice is much more well-rounded than just going in and spending money and hope nothing bad happens, you know, especially if you ha- if you don't have pre-readers, if you don't have people that are looking at your stuff before you, you know, because there's, there's a million things that you think you got and then someone else, you know, feedback is, is, is a good thing in general. So... Yeah, I mean, spending twenty to fifty bucks to get into a convention as an attendee uh, is is much less expensive than, uh, and and you know, possibly sharing a room with a bunch of other people are going is much less expensive than, uh, you know, paying for your own room plus paying for a table plus having to ship a bunch of stuff to whatever convention you're going to or drive the stuff, um, you know. So it's it's helpful to try it out and sort of see what other people are doing and, and figure out where the holes are in your strategy before you throw everything, you know, in your suitcase and, uh, you know, realize at the airport that you, your bags can only be 50 pounds a piece and you're going to have to pay, you know, 200 bucks just to get your bags to, to Denver. Or wherever I, you're oh, going. That's, a, that's, a, that's a feel. Oh, you can do a whole episode about, about vending yeah. and like what to do and what not to do. And, you know, please take Southwest because two chip, to check bags for free mm-hmm. under 50 pounds there's there's my trick um okay um what are the other questions then then I, um so i guess we've we've talked about a lot making pre-existing um ips as far as pitching ideas to um the company is nobly like nah or they'll be like oh that's cool you ran an outline so like what goes into a comic outline specifically, and um, I guess what are the like? Do you have any personal things you do? Um, do you do you like kind of break it down and then write, or do you just write straightforward, or like how do you do it? Slash, what are good ways to do it in general? A lot of my stuff, I kind of start out with characters, uh, which is probably not the easiest way to do it, but it is uh, like characters are what I care about like they're they're what i enjoy writing um plots are are great but if you don't have uh characters that people can act to they're not worth having um so i i often start with you know the concept and the characters and sort of work my way out from there i think the biggest thing to keep in mind when you're when you're pitching stuff whether it be comics or movies or tv or or whatever is that uh it's it's not pitching stuff to uh, a company that's going to buy it is not the same as, you know, doing the commercial you might do for somebody you want to read a book or watch a book uh, or watch a TV show. Um, And that you have to, you have to tell them the whole story. You have to tell them where it begins, what happens in the middle and where it ends uh, because they're not going to buy a story from you uh, generally with just a really rough concept, especially if, if, you know, you don't have a a proven track record of working on stuff. Um, So it's very rare for, you know, a company to be like, 
ah, that's a great idea. We're going to pay you money for that right now. And then you can, you can make that for us later. You have to, you know, say, all right, I, I know where I'm going. This is roughly how long the thing is that I'm, I'm looking to make. This is, you know, how many pages or how many issues, um, you know, here is the whole arc of the story. Here are the important character beats. Uh, but also you need to be able to summarize what your story is about in like a sort of a quick and catchy way. Um, you know, that, that can catch somebody's attention because not, because once you say like, once you get somebody hooked and they say, all right, tell me more about this, then you can dig into sort of your, your big elaborate mm -hmm. five-year plan. Um, but you have to have that person listening first. If you just launch in you're like, all right, so there's this guy named John and John is uh, from New York and uh, John has been a carpenter for the last five years, but it, you know, they don't, they're not interested. <laughs> they need something that you can say, all right, it's like this and this, it's, you know, this sort of spin on this, this thing that, you know, or, you know, um, you know for Princeless, it's, you know, I've been pitching that book for 10 years to, to people at convention. So it's, it's about a princess who's locked away in a tower, but her evil parents decides to save herself instead of waiting around to be saved. So she teams up with her guardian dragon and goes off on a quest to go save her sisters who are all locked away in towers as well. There you go. And that's how you sell. Um, and that's, that's it. But then you, you do need to be able to have an end then if you're talking to a publisher um, so that you can say, all right, you know, it's going to be, this story and then this story and this story, um, which I didn't completely have with <laughs> Princeless, so uh, I'm a bad example. But um, you know, it's it's very difficult to to sell a company on um, to sell most companies on sort of an ongoing style series that doesn't have a, a an endpoint that's known because you know most most comic sales um, like a lot of TV shows. You know, they spike at the very beginning and, you know, often the, the audience will dwindle after the first couple of, mm -hmm. of issues. Um, so, you know, they, they need to be able to know that there's going to be stuff to hook people and it does feasibly have an end point where you can get to the story and be finished and they can package it and sell it as a book as well. You invest in the story and then, you know, the author disappears or, you know, you don't know what's happening next. And it's just like... Um... I think it's a shame that, you know, the like the rating, the, the story isn't developed enough where there is an ending because it just kind of, you know, leaves the whole experience incomplete. And it's, you know, it's hard to get invested um, in something that you don't know when the ending will be, not maybe if there will be an ending, um, you know, and that happens a lot, too, with canceled TV shows where, you know, there there probably was an ending in mind, but because the TV show in general wasn't making money, then they just had to cut it. And then it's just kind of that, that, that feeling of, you know, just general sadness and just curiosity. And, you know, I think, um, Hey Arnold is a great example for animation in general and they, they actually finished it. Yay. Um, I think like what, a year ago, two years ago, whenever the jungle movie came out, but you know, and I think, I mean, at, with the rise of Netflix in general, I think, um, in streaming services in general, um, TV shows are being pitched as a more um, serialized package, like with an end in mind versus just kind of like, well, do a first season and see how it goes. And then the second season and then 
they kind of have to write the story depending on how many seasons or one season they're being greenlit, and that will affect the quality versus just having knowing oh they have fifty two episodes make make a show, but also like know what's no one you know this is how much you have till your ending period kind of thing. So I think it's overall improving the quality of um, TV. But anyway, I'm on a I'm on a tangent. Um, anyway, yeah, um, no, I think. I think the third issue of, of, of any story is the hardest to write, right? Because, like, you all you know what the first issue is. You know what the last issue, be it the fourth or fifth or sixtieth issue is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're any good in writing your first issue, you end in, in some kind of, you know, cliffhanger or, or thing that's going to get somebody to come back for the second one. So you know where the second one starts, at least. Um, but then you get to that third one, and you're like, ah, what goes in the middle here? Mm-hmm. Um, what... What what is the fluff in this story? And and the problem is when when you don't know what that is and it is just fluff, um, and you know, somebody reads that third issue and they don't come back for the fourth one. Yeah. A lot of times, um, you know, like writers or story people in general, um, directors, whatever, um, mostly writers, I guess script writers, but they um focus a lot of you know, defining specific characters that they might not have had time for just like to get the plot going and, you know, like the breather episodes or the 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 lower deck episodes, I think is the trope is called. But um anyway, anyway. Uh Lauren, do we have any more questions or do you have any general questions? Um, I guess oh one more question I do have is what for all of those for all of the writers and artists that want to get into this, um uh what is some other advice you'd like to offer young creatives who want to develop their own stories and their comics. Yeah. And not necessarily just comics, but also just, you know, storytelling in general. Yeah. I think, I mean, I touched on this a little bit, but I think the biggest thing is you, you can't wait around for permission to tell your story and um, you can't tell a story that you think other people might like, like, don't chase what seems like it's going to be a hot thing or a fad or whatever like that. Um, but like the stuff, most of the stuff that gets super successful is stuff that people are invested in that, you know, this is the story that you want to read that you want to tell, because if it is something that, you know, if it's a TV show that ends up going, you know, several seasons or a comic book series that runs long or even, you know, a movie that, uh, you know, that it takes, it takes a lot to, to write anything of that length. And if you want to, uh, if, if you start writing it or working on it, thinking, Oh, this is going to be a thing that's popular. Uh, then, you know, at some point you're just going to get tired of writing it. Um, the, the biggest thing is to, you know, to write the story that you want to see, because at the very least, if that's the case and you, you make a story and it's the thing you want, it's at least something you can be proud of at the end of the day and you can use as a, a piece of your you know portfolio to say, this is the kind of thing I make. So even if it isn't successful, you can have a thing that, you know, you're proud of and you can use to get, you know, more work uh, rather than having half of a thing that you were like, well, when I started writing this, it seemed like these movies were doing really well. So Vampires were the thing. I wrote a movie like that. Yeah. You don't you don't want to be the third Snow White movie that comes out in a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say with the uh, good way to yeah, put it. It's yeah, be 
make when you're writing your stories to like take from my even my own experience write about things that you enjoy write about the things that make you happy write th about the things that inspire you because if it's not really genuine it's just kind of like it, it'll fall flat and people will know it and I I feel like we've kind of in a way we touched on this point kind of before but yeah it's got to come from a place where you're it's genuine like you genuinely care about these characters the story the world you've created um otherwise you, people can tell when you're trying to do it for for profit when you're trying to do it just to do it because it's a fad they can tell so it's like when you put your all into something that's when the real good stuff comes out and that's when people will look yeah if you if you sit down to write an issue or an episode or a piece of the story and all you can think is like, God, I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> and the person that's watching or reading that is going to think the same thing at that point. Like, you know, you, you've got to be, you know, excited to be like, okay, where did I leave this off next time? Oh, right. We're at this point. Like, let me jump into that. And, you know, I, I can't wait to, to write this part or, you know, this scene where this happens. You should always be excited about the thing you're writing. You should never be dreading it because it's, it's going to come through. I do remember that a piece oh. I did submit a piece of fan fiction in my college application and it was and it, it was part of the reason I got in because they wanted to see storytelling capabilities and they could tell it was a story I like to write and I had fun writing it so they're like yeah sure <laughs> what was the story about it was very tame it was like the christmas it was like a Christmas story. So, I mean, it was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was, but it was just one of my, I was in the Christmas spirit and I wanted to write it. And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Lauren, stop pitching people. You're Lion King fan fiction. God damn it. Then <laughs> uh, you get me thinking about those, those sexy anthropomorphic Lion King characters that were going around the internet for a week there. <laughs> those were neat, though. Yeah, those, those were neat. I liked them. Yeah. Neat, a little uncomfortable, but they weren't naked, neat. you know, th that time. I mean, that Mufasa was a little bit disconcerting. <laughs> you mean the the, the, the sexy so, professor Mufasa kind of? <laughs> yeah, the the zaddy Mufasa. The zaddy Mufasa. <laughs> that's it, guys. That's that's the word. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a lot, but but yeah, like I think. You know, I, I think a lot of people are down on fan fiction for for various reasons. Some some deserved and some not. Um, but I think you know some of the some of the greatest stories come from fan fiction. Come from people watching a, a show or, or reading a series and going like, "Ah oh, man, they really screwed up." Like if I were telling this sort of story, it would go like this. Um, you know, because that's. I mean, whether, whether they would ever admit it or not, I mean, that's 90% of fantasy stories post J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Is people like borrowing pieces from Lord of the Rings or later Dungeons and Dragons and going, all right, well, this is the kind of story I want to tell with these type of characters. But those archetypes are, I mean, the archetypes of elves have not changed drastically since Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Everybody's writing fan fiction. Yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, whatever gets you going, um, you know, and you can bleed into original stuff if you think you're ready. But, you know, whatever kind of tricks your mind to be like, I can do this thing if I'm talking about this thing. Like, I doubt I would have made all my My Little Pony content um, or as been as passionate about it if it wasn't for Discord and talking about Discord and 
making fun of myself on the internet and you know also like i don't think people would have found me because i don't think you know my voice would have been as clear when i was just starting out um making fan content but but yeah anyway um i think i'm good lauren do you have any more questions i i think i'm good too actually <laughs> again it's, it seems like any other questions that seem to like be like coming up in my mind they already got answered so i'm <laughs> like so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Jeremy, anything you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, nope, I okay. think I'm good. Um, did you have a good time? Yes, cool. absolutely. Um, that's How about you rate important. us five stars? And <laughs> oh, shut up, Lauren. Um, anyway, so Jeremy, where can people find your stuff if they want to read things? Uh, well, I've got links to all of my stuff on my Twitter. It's at uh, jrome58, that's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. Or if you'd rather stay away from Twitter, which is probably better for you, uh, my, my website is uh, jeremywhitley.com. Um, all, all of my stuff is available to buy at you know local bookstores and uh, definitely searchable on Amazon. Go find it there. And then, you know, transfer that information over to your bookstore and buy it there. Yeah. What else are you going to do? You know, everything's everything's closed. So, um, well, yeah. thank you. Read. read. Go, go read, damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my, oh, I for, one more point before we end for reals. Um, I was just going to add as far as the storytelling and I forgot it is um, watch things, I think, because I think in general, um, yeah. people don't. Um, people need guidance to like for things like story structure, like what kind of characters they like and how they can, you know, facet that and use that as a learning tool. So I'm like telling people just consume a lot of media, a lot of good media, and then you can kind of say, oh, it worked here. What if it worked here? So, um, but yeah, that was my quick thing. I think that is especially true for for comics mm -hmm. and animation because I think there are a lot of people that get that start making a, you know making something for one of those two medium thinking, oh, well, this is a lot easier to get into than movies. And I can use this as a sort of, you know, starting point for whatever big other bigger project I want to do. And it turns out, you know, they, they don't read comics or they don't watch, you know, enough animated content and their stuff blows and then they don't make mm -hmm. anything. Or worse yet, like, as Jeremy said, like, you know, you don't want to be the third Snow White. You don't want to write a story and spend all this time writing a story if it's already been done in a big format, you know, or if it's been done in a very similar way, then people are going to be like, oh, it's a ripoff of this thing, even though if you had no idea about that thing. So I know movies in general, their schedules and as far as release dates and stuff will be switched around depending if something else is coming from a different studio that is similar and then competition is a thing. So pol politics, movie politics, yay. So um, <laughs> anyway, go watch, go watch some good stuff. It should I mean, you have Netflix, right? You have Netflix, Disney Plus. I'm constantly recommending Disney Plus because I think it's going to really <laughs> change how Disney is redistributing its material and have some flexibility with its storytelling and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, go watch New DuckTales. Yeah, New DuckTales yeah. is really good. Um, I, I've been watching it too passively. I think I got to I gotta rewatch and pay more attention. Um, but, but yeah, thank you again. Della Duck is my hero. She's the best. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I just I, I do miss um, David Tennant is a, is a good Scrooge, but I do miss old, old school sounding Scrooge. That's my only nitpick, but um, that's just a personal preference, really. Yeah. <sighs>
I love Tenon is great. She's great. I love that all the all the nephews have unique personalities mm-hmm. in this version, which is yeah, great. Yeah, I think that's something that was super needed if the story was going to, you know, become more, you know, dynamic than just like it's like the twin or it's like it's, I always think of the the Beauty and the Beast like chicks that like like Gaston but they're, they're like the same thing but they're just different wearing different uh, colors. You mean you mean the bimbets? Mm-hmm. Is that what they're yes, called? Yes, they are actually called that. Uh, okay. <laughs> is, is, like, how do you know that, Lauren? Are they like listening to credits as like they the are, bats or something? They, yes, and also just like canonically, people have referred to them like artists have referred to them as the bimbets. So you got that going. <laughs> All right, we, we learned something new today. Um, and they're also parodied in that that one Big Mac episode where um with Justin Bieber pony. <laughs> with Justin Bieber pony, it's like Heartbreakers or it's something with Big Mac and Sugar Bell or whatever. I don't know. Go look it up. Um, I'm sure I reviewed it and I forgot about it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, thanks again, Jeremy, for coming. The ringing yeah, endorsement. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, I'm you've glad been, to do it. You've thank been you. great and fun, and I'm glad this all worked out. Um, and then for new people, uh, we we come out with new episodes every Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern for like the podcasty version and then 4 p.m eastern usually for the the youtube version which is basically the same exact thing but it's on youtube and it has like this cool looping graphic that we have that's 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 new of this recording yay we fancy so if you can't (laughs) if you absolutely can't wait then just go on soundcloud or something there's no difference except youtube is easier to link people and have people understand and it's free and yay all right um and then you know Follow me, follow Lauren, follow Jeremy, subscribe um, on YouTube, and we'll see you next week. Please, please come back next week, and if you're new, please watch the old episodes, and then come back next week. All right, um, thanks again for listening, everyone, and have a good rest of your day. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to Animation Communication on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. We are really hoping this show makes a difference in how people view animation and media, as well as giving and providing advice for people all over the world who like or want to join the animation or media industry. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe and rate those five stars, as well as tell your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our main YouTube channel, I Love Kim Possible A Lot, and turn those notifications on. My name is Scribbler, and you have been listening to Animation Communication.